1: There's a city in Idaho named uh, American Falls, and it's a small city. They just have about 4,000 people as the population of American Falls, Idaho. But if the weather's good, this population will double or triple as a site that everyone wants to go to. So the reason is, is because around American Falls, there are all of these beautiful natural waterfalls in the area that you can go and you can see but then there is additionally a giant man-made dam that has created this like 56,000 acre reservoir that's there. So people wanna go out to the lake, have a great day. If you live anywhere in that area, you're gonna travel in and go to American Falls, Idaho. On August 9th, 2010, there was a terrible accident that happened at American Falls Reservoir, and it circles around four men that went out and went boating that day. Um, if, if you know, <laughs> these four men, they, they were young, I think three of them were in their 20s, one of them was in their 50s, two of them were brothers, and they went out boating that day. And I don't know if it works the same way for women, but for men, uh, men that like each other harass each other. It's just, it's the way that it works. If you're a man and you go and you have lunch with a man, and the entire time through the meal, you're both completely polite with each other, that man is not your friend. He might be a coworker, a colleague, someone you respect, but he's not your friend. Now, if you sit with that a man and have lunch together, and the entire time this person is harassing you about how slow you're eating, fast you're eating, how much you're eating, how you speak, how your hair looks, and they are making fun of you the entire time, that man is your friend, and all all men know this. And so when four men are hanging out together, there's probably gonna be a little bit of trouble that happens, and a lot of games, games are going to be going on, and these four men are having a great day out on this boat, and at some point, um, one of the men is standing up at the front of the boat and is goofing off, and one of his friends takes advantage of the opportunity and pushes this man into the water. What he didn't know is that that man, the one that went into the water, was the only man out of the four that did not know how to swim. Let's pray as we get started tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are with us in this room. We feel your spirit, and we pray that you would guide us as we spend time in your word. Allow us to be shaped by you. We don't want to be stiff or brittle. We want to be moldable to the things that you want to accomplish in our hearts. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Numbers? We're going to go to the book of Numbers chapter 22. So the book of Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible, and the book begins, the timeline begins on Mount Sinai. So if you're in Numbers 1, it would be Mount Sinai and Moses, and then it kind of goes through these early years of the nation of Israel. And the book of Numbers is filled with a bunch of different types of literature. So there are narrative stories in the book, there are uh, lists and registries, and then there are also laws and regulations. So this is how the book of Numbers got its name. But there are also stories. And so when you get to Numbers chapter 22, you're going to find one of these stories about a man who needed to be rescued. Let's kick off tonight by reading verses 3 through 5 in Numbers chapter 22. The Bible says this. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, this mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam Son of Beor. So there, there's two guys here, and these two guys have very similar names. So the first guy we're going to talk about is Balak, who is the king of Moab. The Moabites lived in an area by the Dead Sea during these expanding years of the nation of Israel. Israel had defeated Jericho and now they were spreading out across the region to different cities and villages. And the reason they were spreading out, there was two reasons. One of them is that they believed that God had promised this land to them. And then also they were spreading out just because they needed to. There were so many of them. The Bible tells us that through the desert there were 600,000 men plus women and children. So that would be like the entire county metro area of Milwaukee, all looking for homes and jobs and shelter, and they needed to spread out to do this. Well, this king, Balak, the king of Moab, he's watching this happen from a distance. He sent sent spies to see this people moving into his area, and they are terrified. There are so many of them. He could not possibly win a physical battle Because there's too many people. And so, what Balak cannot accomplish physically, he hopes to accomplish spiritually, which is why he summons the prophet Balaam. So, now Balaam finds himself in a really unique category in the Bible. There are very few people in the Bible that fall into this category because Balaam is listed as a wicked prophet. So, he has the name prophet, letting us know that he's someone who hears from God, who speaks for God. And yet he is wicked, so he is someone who is just doing this for his own benefit. He's someone who they would pay to either bless or curse a certain group of people. So it's not, the the use of the word prophet here is not the same as if we're talking about Isaiah the prophet or Ezekiel the prophet, that it's somewhere between prophet and witch doctor, and that's where Balaam is, he is that guy, and so when the the king of the Moabites wants to cause pain to the Israelites, and he can't do it physically, he wants to do it spiritually, and so he says, I'm going to call Balaam and this witch doctor, wicked prophet, I'm going to pay him, entice him to put a curse on the people of Israel, and so he calls for him to come. Balaam then begins to make, Balaam summons Balaam to pronounce a curse, and there are some phenomenal animal stories throughout the Bible, you know, there's ravens and snakes and pigs but I have to tell you like this animal story it's just it's by far the best it is unequivocally the best thing that happens with with animals and this one uh, the the, the donkey sees what's just up the road Balaam is is walking down this path he's on his donkey he's traveling to go to this place that God does not want him to go God is not going to allow him to put a curse on his own people. And so God has placed this angel of the Lord in the path of Balaam. And this is not some beautiful cherub with an arrow. This is some massive warrior angel. The Bible says that he was holding his sword up, that his sword was raised. And Balaam is traveling on his donkey, and God allows the donkey to see something that Balaam cannot see. He's just going to the next gig. He's just traveling to the next job. And yet, God allows this animal to see something that Balaam could not see. And God sends a rescue. You know, if you've heard this story before, you know what happens next. So the donkey tries to rescue Balaam, and Balaam resists. The donkey is trying to save Balaam's life. And Balaam attacks the donkey one, two, three times. And after all of these episodes play out, God has mercy upon the donkey, and he gives the donkey the ability to speak. This story is phenomenal. It's very unique. And yet, there is something happening in this story that I think is very common. There's something in this story that you and I have all done. There is something in this story that each one of us have experienced others doing to us. And it makes me want to ask this question, why do we resist our rescue? So August 9th, 2010 was a devastating tragedy for all four men that were on the American Falls Reservoir. The first guy had fallen into the water, and when he had fallen into the water, the second guy, who was the one who had pushed him, quickly realized the mistake that he had made. He didn't know, he didn't know that his friend wasn't a swimmer. And so he sees his friend struggling in the water and immediately jumps in to get into the water with him, which is a, turns out to be a terrible and a deadly mistake. Trying to pull someone who is a 200-pound man who is strong, who is terrified for their life, is an impossible task. And so in this, the one guy who's jumping in, who does know how to swim, who would be completely safe in the water, jumps in to save his friend, and his friend immediately begins grabbing onto him, pulling him under, and just like that, we have two men that are now struggling to stay alive. And as they struggle in the water, the boat keeps drifting farther and farther away from them, and the two men left in the boat have to make a decision. And so the third man jumps out of the boat, to go attempt to rescue his friends. Watching him who had resisted the rescue of the first man comes in to come in and rescue his friends. The fourth man grabbed a a life jacket in his hands and then jumped out of the boat as well. And four men went into the water that day and all four men drowned. Why do we resist our rescue? You know, this question has stuck with me. I don't think it is specific to Balaam, and I don't think that it is specific to a man in the water calling for help. Why do we hurt the ones who are coming to help us? Why do we reject the ones that God has sent to our aid? There is a human nature at work here. I believe that Balaam reveals to us some of the ugly that is inside all of us. And I believe that Balaam gives us insight into some of the ugly that we've all experienced in our attempt to rescue others. Tonight, we're going to walk through this story together. And as we do, I want to share with you four observations as to why we resist our rescue. We're going to start with our donkey's first attempt to redirect Balaam. And so Balaam is on the road to the king of Moab. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord, and then here's what what happens in verse 23. Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. So the first observation I want to share with you tonight is that being rescued is disorienting disorienting. Can you imagine, I, you know, I've never ridden a donkey before, but I have ridden a horse and, and what it would be like to be on an animal who then suddenly, unexpectedly, unexplainedly just turned into a different direction and started charging into a field. It would be confusing, you know, because uh, the, the, the thing is Balaam is convinced that he's right. He's, he's confident that, that this is the path and that is a field, I know where I'm supposed to be, and yet I'm being pulled in a different direction, being rescued is often disorienting. Proverbs 14:12 says, "There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. There is a path that man would choose, that man would be so sure that they're right. Being rescued is disoriented because you think you're on the right path. One thing I love doing with my kids when they were little was uh, taking them to swim lessons and when they're really young, they require a parent to get in the water with them and so I, I was always, Mandy was happy for me to be the one who got in the water with them and, and teaching them how to float. You know, you put your hand on, you know, their, their upper back and their lower back and kind of hold them in the water and teach them how to do something that feels very unnatural which is lay flat on top of water And relax. If we think about the man who was struggling in the water, the first man who didn't know how to swim, what is the natural reaction? The natural reaction is struggle. is struggle and push and grab for anything that you can grab to and shove down anything that you can shove down in order to get your head above water. It is the path that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to Death. And when rescue comes, rescue will often feel very disorienting disorienting because it doesn't feel right. If that man had learned at some point in his life how to take a deep breath, (sighs) lean back, open his body up, and float, he would still be alive today. But it doesn't feel right. Being rescued doesn't always feel right Because most people are mostly convinced that they're mostly right most of the time. I don't know who you voted for yesterday, but I'm pretty sure that you're convinced that you voted for the right person. And we walk through life so sure, so confident, that when God sends a rescue mission for your soul, I want to warn you, you might get a little dizzy in the process. Let's return to see what happens the second time that Balaam resists his rescue. So a little time has passed, and the angel of the Lord is now positioned in a new location where the road has a wall on either side. And so here's what happens in verse 25. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. So the second observation I want to share with you tonight is that being rescued is painful. So when I was in high school, I took a lifeguard class that my parents made me take, and one of the, the mantras that we learned in lifeguard class was the four words of reach, throw, row, go. And it's the pathway to choose how to rescue someone out of the water. And the first option is reach. And that's where you have like that little stick with a hook on it at the end of the pool that you can reach out to someone and pull them back in. Why is that the best choice? Because my feet are on the ground because I'm in a very safe place. If you start pulling too hard, I can just let go. And I can always stay safe while I'm trying to rescue you. The second option is throw. That's a little buoy. I can take it. And I can throw out into the water again. Where am I at? I'm in a very safe place. My feet are grounded. I'm not going to be in an unsafe place, and I can be the rescuer to you. The third option is row. That's the reason that by Lake Michigan, you see the lifeguards in their areas, they've got their little like uh, kayak next to their spot because if someone is out in the water struggling for help they are not going to just swim out there to save them because it is very dangerous they will take the kayak with them and they have the safety of the boat when they come to this rescue and then the last option the option that you avoid at all costs is to go okay i I need a volunteer i need someone here would you come up on stage with me okay I'm sorry, there wasn't any option to this. I I didn't ask, I just pointed. It's actually, it's called voluntold. Can you tell me your name? Arlen. Arlen. Okay, I'm so sorry to do this, but it's all good. Okay, so I'm going to tell you how I'm going to rescue Arlen from the water. So scoot up just a little bit. So this is how they teach you how how to rescue someone from the water. So first of all, I'm not going to come at him from the side or the front. Because if he sees me coming to rescue him, the first thing he's going to do is grab for me and pull me under. And this man's very strong. He will have no problem doing that. And if he pulls me under, what I'm going to do is I'm going to swim down. And I'm going to swim down as deep as I can go because once he knows he's sinking with me, then he might let go of me so that I can get free and reattempt. Because rescuing someone in the water is extremely dangerous because he's going to what? Resist his rescue. And when someone is being rescued, you can expect that there's going to be some pain involved. So here's the plan. So the plan is, is I'm going to come up from behind him where he doesn't see me, and I'm going to put my hand right about here. Okay, we're really good friends now, aren't we? Um, Actually, not that good friends because I'm just going to say the next part. I'm going to put my hand in his armpit, which I'm not doing because it's pretty late in the day, and who knows what's going on at this point. And so I'm going to grab him about right like this. I'm going to put my hand in his armpit. I'm going to find a pressure point. And I'm going to kind of like choke him out so he really can't breathe and begin to grab that pressure point in order to disarm him from attacking me. Can we hear for Arlen tonight? Thank you so much, man. (laughs) And my rescue plan for Arlen is going to be painful. He's going to sit there and go, dude, I can't breathe. I'm already drowning in the water. Why are you putting your hand around my neck? That hurts. You're disarming me. This doesn't feel good. There is pain involved with being rescued. But if the choice is death or a bruised ankle, I would like to encourage everyone in the room to choose a bruised ankle. The donkey saw some, something coming that Balaam couldn't see. If Balaam was going to come in contact with the angel of the Lord, he was going to die and if you have to choose between death and a bruised ankle, choose a bruised ankle. Being rescued is painful. There is discomfort that is going to come. Matthew, 29, Matthew 5, 29 and 30 says, So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust gouge it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. We can so often over-comfort ourselves with food and medication and isolation that we overprotect protect ourselves from Any possible pain. If your appendix is about to rupture, early pain is going to save your life. If your marriage is in distress, early pain is going to save your marriage. Resisting your rescue. When we are rescued, there is going to be pain. But this is part of the process for your good in the final episode the 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 third episode the angel of the lord relocates to a place where there is now he relocates to a place where the path is so thin there is absolutely no way for this poor loving donkey to find its way through the to the left or the right there's nowhere to go and so this is what the donkey does in verse 27 this time When the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. (sighs) I love this. The donkey has had it. It's been a really tough day. There's no way out. Can't go to the left. Can't go to the right. And so the donkey plops down flat on the ground. And what does Balaam do? He loses his mind. My third observation I want to share with you tonight is that being rescued is maddening. It is frustrating. It's infuriating. It's enraging. Being rescued rescued can make you madder than you've ever been, and it can cause you to blast that anger out at anyone and everyone that is around you. I know that everyone in this room has someone that they are praying for, someone that they want to see rescued by the grace of God and in your attempt to rescue a child or a spouse or a friend, uh, that you have become the target of their anger. And you can feel the way that this donkey might have felt. Why why are you hurting me? Why are you angry with me? Why are you pushing me away? Why have I become the target of your fury? In his compassion, uh, God has compassion for the Balaam and for the donkey, and God performs a miracle. He opens the donkey's mouth, and we can read about this in verse 28 and 29. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times, it asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. The final observation I want to make with you tonight is this, is that being rescued is embarrassing. It's humiliating. It will make you feel small to lift your hands up and say, I can't do this. I can't figure it out. I have messed this up, and I need to be rescued. I don't know how to swim. I don't know how to make this happen. Tell me what to do and rescue Me. It's the reason that in addiction therapy, people will introduce themselves by saying, my name is, and I'm an addict. Because it's hard to say. Because it's embarrassing. Because it takes strength and humility to say the difficult things, to place yourself low so that God can lift you up. If you have to choose between death and embarrassment, choose embarrassment. It will be embarrassing if you were at a rocky place in your marriage for you to call someone and ask for help, for you to reach out to a friend, for you to sit down with your spouse and go to counseling, for you to make steps. It will be difficult. It will make you feel small to say, I can't do this by myself. I need to be rescued. But if there's a choice between death and embarrassment, choose humility. Numbers 22, verse 31 and 32, the story concludes like this. He says, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in this roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded, look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. If you feel God pulling on your heart tonight, trying to put you into a different path, I want to plead with you. Don't resist your rescue. The worst part of the tragedy in uh, American Falls, Idaho, is the way we know about the story. So if four men had drowned in the middle of the lake, how would we know that that story had happened? The reason we know is because that day on August 9, 2010, there were five children that were in the boat, and all five children had their life vests on, and one of them had to get a phone and call 911 for the rescuers to come out and search for the bodies of the four men that had died that day. When we resist our rescue, there will be casualties all around us. There is pain that comes For those who turn their back on God, for those who resist the path of rescue that he has sent to you, let me tell you, Jesus Christ is the best rescue plan the world has ever known. God saw that we were disconnected. He saw that we were broken. He saw that we were on a path that we thought was right. But the path that we thought was right was going to lead us to death. And so God sent his only son into this world that you might have a rescue plan. And how did this world treat their rescuer? We beat him, we crucified him, we put nails through his hands and through his feet. We reacted, we didn't want to experience the embarrassment that comes with being rescued, the pain that comes with it, the anger that comes with it, the being disoriented that comes with it. And all of those things didn't feel right And so we would rather lash out in anger and resist our rescue than drop our hands and accept the plan of salvation that had come our way. Here's the great news. It is not too late for you to resist your rescue. We can come into relationship with Christ, and tonight, either for the first time or for the hundredth time, we can lay down our resistance. We can stop swinging back and we can place ourselves in the hands of our Savior and allow him to rescue our souls. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you stop and you say, I'm not in charge, there is the path that I thought was right, but I am going to surrender that to my rescuer, and I'm going to let you pull me out of this lake. God wants to rescue you tonight. I think about the people in this room who are my saints of God, who have known Jesus for many years, and who have spent many of those years praying for someone that you love who has lost relationship with Christ. It may be a child, a spouse, a grandchild, a friend, and I know that the experiences that we've talked through night to tonight may have hit a little close to home because they are experiences that you have had in your attempts to speak what the Spirit would have you say to know when to pray, to know when to speak, and that you have had people that you have tried to rescue who have resisted you. Maybe you have been the target of their anger. Maybe you have been the target of their attacks as you have reached out in love to pull them into the body of Christ. I want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray that God would encourage your heart that you would see that there is still a plan and that just if God can break the heart of a Balaam, if he would go to this kind of lengths in order for someone to hear his voice, that the person in your life that you love, that there is one person who loves them more and that is their creator, their heavenly father, loves your son, your spouse, your friend more than you do. And whatever lengths that you would go to rescue them, I can promise you your Heavenly Father would go farther and will not stop. He is the God who walks away from the 99 to go rescue the one. We want to be the people who walk away from the 99 to go rescue the one. That we will go that far. We will not give up. I want to pray with you tonight. Father, I give you praise in this place. I believe that there are people in this room right now who have, in the last 20 minutes question the path that they're on, that your Holy Spirit is speaking to them and is challenging them that the path that they think is right is not your path, and the path that they think is right will lead to death. And I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would allow us to bend our will before you, allow us to confess that you are in charge and that we are not I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to make you Lord of our lives and that tonight can be a first night of your control, of your authority in our life, that we would not walk by our direction, but we would walk by your direction. I want to pray for my friends in, my, in this room and on behalf of them for the lost ones that they're praying for, for people who have run away from the faith, from people who have never once known a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be the rescuers that you've called us to be. I pray that you would teach us, and even though this world might resist us like they resisted you, I pray that you would give us the strength and the grit and the resiliency that we need to go into this world and preach the name of Jesus. I thank you for this night. I thank you for every person in this room. And I pray, God, that as we leave this place, we would walk in your spirit. We would walk tall knowing who we are and knowing that we are your sons and daughters. And I pray you would bring us back to this place soon. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.